thank you and for listening to Flashpoint Podcast. This is episode seven. We're going to do some year in review politics uh, with the writer Jeet here. Jeet is a newsletter writer. He writes Time of Monsters at Substack. Uh, that's jeethere.substack.com. He's also a columnist at The Nation and a Twitter essayist. Uh, so, well-known Twitter clown, as I like to say. Yes, yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, um, so, yeah. Uh, so, Jeet, thanks for thanks for joining me. Uh, I really oh, appreciate well, this. Great to be here. Always good to talk. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, just for the for the listeners here, uh, I will be doing a year review, more focused on tech. Uh, that'll be tomorrow with Edward Ongweso. You know, depending on uh, whether you're hearing this on replay or not, you can hear that live or you can hear it on the replay as well. You can also find my year in review uh, reporting, which will be out probably Thursday, maybe Friday at the newsletter, which is owenhagens.substack.com, E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S.substack.com. And also we will be kind of reviewing my conversation with Jeet here and also with, with Edward tomorrow. Um, so yeah, so I, I invited Jeet on because I was hoping that we could talk about kind of the year in politics. And I, I thought that there were three items that we could focus on. Uh, we could focus on January 6th and the kind of ongoing conservative Republican attacks on democracy and elections. Uh, that's one. Uh, two, the conspiracies around COVID and the vaccines and the lockdowns and the mandates that have kind of seemed to increase over the last year, especially given that, uh, that, that we have Biden in office now instead of Trump, so it's become kind of a culture war thing. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about the Biden agenda. Uh, how that's been doing going through Washington. But before we get started on that, Jeet, is, is there anything that you'd want to talk about outside of those three that you think that we should be focused on? Oh, uh, no, I think I think those are pretty, uh, that's pretty comprehensive. I think there might be some stuff that comes out of, well, when we're discussing them, there might be like sort of tangential stuff that uh, that sort of uh, feeds off of it. But I mean, I think that's a good sort of agenda of uh, major things. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. You never know when the digressions will just kind of take on life of their own. Um, so, so yeah, so let's start with January 6th. Um, obviously the one year anniversary of that event is coming up pretty soon, uh, in about a week or so, a week and a day, I think. And, you know, just a quick review in case anybody listening to this doesn't already know, which I'm sure that you all do. Uh, that being the day that Biden's election was going to be verified by the, Congress, uh, and there was a riotous mob that assembled on the lawn of the Capitol and broke into the Capitol, uh, stopping the count of the electoral ballots and forcing lawmakers from both sides to uh, to hide from the uh, the mob members who had made it inside the building. Uh, since then, reaction to that, actually at the time too, reaction to that from people on the left and the right 
many people kind of tried to downplay it, downplay what had happened. Uh, I, I think that it was, if not a strict attempt at insurrection, it was certainly an attempt to overthrow the results of the election. However much it was planned is questionable, certainly. Uh, but it does seem well, to me. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, go it's ahead. Like, looking back on it, um, even before January 6th, like Trump had been making all sorts of noises about, you know, not accepting the election results and, you know, making various efforts to um, intimidate uh, state level electoral boards. Um, and there was a lot of conversation, you know, like, is this, you know, does it meet the legal definition, you know, or like a, a sort of, um, uh, at my uh, thinking at the time, and I think it's maybe held up a little bit was that on the one hand, this is like very clownish. It's like a typical Trumpian, you know, like sort of fiasco. Um, uh, simply because I was pretty confident that Trump didn't have the military on board for this. And that if you're going to have like a, a coup of a nation like the United States, you kind of have to have the military or, or most nations, right? Like that's kind of, um, there's actually a Trump supporter named Edward Lutvak. He's a um, very interesting conservative intellectual. And he actually wrote a book once called, you know, A How-To Guide of Coup d'Etats. And, you know, but by the standards, and Lutvak's book is very interesting. And by the standards of that book, you know, Trump's thing was like, a, you know, a failed incompetent coup. And the incompetence was very visible from the start. Like, it's very hard to see the mechanisms by which this would actually get to the results Trump wanted. But having said that, like, it's still very, very bad that a sitting president is not accepting the election results. He's trying to thwart them using every leverage that he has, uh, both, like, the power of the presidency and egging on his supporters. And that there is, I mean, you know... <laughs> The plan, I mean, I think the coup plan, to the extent there was a coup plan, was more aimed at, like, what's happening inside Congress and to get, you know, like, Ted Cruz and Gosar and, you know, these guys to invalidate the election and get the party. Uh, and it was always, um, you know, I mean, like, I think it was always kind of shaky ground whether they could pull it off, but they were trying to pull it off, you know? Well, and, yeah. you know like, and I think a lot of the people who are downplaying it, they're literally using the logic that was used by Sideshow Bob in The Simpsons, you know, like attempted murder, you know? Do you give get a prize, Nobel, Peace for, uh, Nobel Prize for attempted chemistry? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because you want to be like, oh, they attempted it and they failed, and it was buffoonish, it doesn't matter. But I, 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 wanna, I want to insist that actually... Um, yeah, don't no, I mean like the fact that they attempted this was really, really bad, and it's it's, it's just hard to put a good spin on it. I, I just I'm baffled by the mindset that kind of poo-poo's it. I mean, on the left, I'll say I mean there's people like Glenn Greenwald, and even people I have much more respect for than Greenwald, like um, my friend uh, and former colleague Liz Bruning uh, and her husband Matt. Uh, they kind of I think some of it is an allergic reaction to Democratic Party rhetoric. And there was some of that rhetoric where the Demo people like Nancy Pelosi were saying, well, this is like 9-11, you know, this is... Uh, some of that rhetoric was a little too far, but I mean, like, just looking at it objectively, like, trying to thwart the peaceful transfer of power, it's just a very bad thing, and it's, it's, it's a, a, a deeply anti-democratic thing, and, to the, and the extent to which Trump has gotten... Um, initially, like, the if they had tried to impeach him the day after, 
they might have gotten a lot of more Republicans on board because people were genuinely shocked, including Republicans like Mitch McConnell. Uh, unfortunately, what they did was what they always do, which is they waited, uh, and then the Trump was able to consolidate the Republican opinion and say, well, the real coup was the November 3rd is the election that was stolen from us. And that's become, that is now the consensus of the Republican Party. And that's also bad. Right, right. And, you know, I, I think that, um, well, a couple things. Obviously, they tried to do this legislatively. And the, you know, the, the riot and the mob would, were certainly did not seem to be planned. It just seemed like they kind of, took what Trump was saying very, very seriously. The, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they just rushed the, the Capitol. But I, I think that, um, what happened in Congress, especially after this one, even after this threat that the president at the time refused to do anything about, you know, he refused to stop, uh, this this mob, which he could have done, but he refuses to to take any yeah. action to stop them from that. And they and they still went out there and tried to challenge the results. Um, and I think that I I certainly agree uh, with people who who say that the rhetoric around this, especially comparing it to nine eleven, is completely ridiculous. Of course, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, any time and and here I really will will kind of betray my my position on some other issues here. But like any time that you see Adam Schiff, for example, uh, coming in hard, uh, talking about the need for more security and and the threat to the nation, I think that that like you you should really be treating that with skepticism. You know, like like pe- people like him uh, and and even people like Pelosi as well. Although, you know, this isn't so much her forte. She's more, you know, of, of, of the party leader. But, you know, any time that they're indulging with these kind of overblown, uh, paranoid fantasies about what this stuff means, I, I definitely think that that stuff has to be taken with a grain of salt. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that, I mean, that, that that's the, the valid part of the left critique. But, you know, one doesn't want, like, this to be used as a pretext for another Patriot Act for another kind of, you know, like, I mean, 9-11 was, you know, bad, not just for the horrific terrorist attack that killed a lot of innocent people, but also the, the reaction afterwards. Uh, and to the, But also, I mean, like, on the, I mean, if the Democrats, the establishment Democrats can be criticized, I think it's, they're showing the same sort of mentality that they did with Trump all along, which is to try to make him into a foreign threat. To say you know like he's Putin's puppet or whatever, and they're not doing this with like the sort of you know a domestic threat of right wing violence. You know to compare it to nine eleven. Whereas you know like, if one were making comparisons, I think the comparison that doesn't get made much except by historians, but I think is a valid one, is really Reconstruction and the backlash afterwards with the Redeemers, where like you know with Reconstruction after the Civil War, you had the 
first real attempt to build a multiracial democracy in the United States. And you had African-American men, because only men could vote, uh, hold office at that point or vote, uh, you know, elected to Congress and, uh, um, you know, holding a lot of power in the South and, you know, making a lot of very necessary changes in terms of, you know, building the first real state governments that had public schools in the South. And then, you know, you had the, you know, backlash uh, coming uh, with the you know the rise of the Klan, uh, initially put down by Ulysses Grant, but then you know uh, various forms of right wing reaction, crime thing, and a lot of these reactions. You know, I mean, there was a sort of one two punch of uh, or one three punch. Really, you had a combination of sort of domestic violence, you know, the sort of clan variety, or uh, you know, in some cases, people uh, uh, attacking uh, legislatures. Um, and then you had the sort of uh, Democratic Party, uh, which was aligned with us, kind of, you know, um, uh, making this, uh, uh, giving sort of tacit support to the violence and making a push for um, uh, um, denying African-Americans uh, uh, civil rights and voting rights and rolling that back. And the third level it was the Republican Party uh, at that point controlled by business interests who decided, well, we got abolition. We don't need anything more. We want a united nation. Uh, and so, you know, becoming sort of complicit with the Democrats and valuing, you know, national unity uh, and letting the Reconstruction be ended uh, and gradually civil rights being rolled back in the South with the rise of Jim Crow. Now, I think that's, there's a lot, I think, a lot of striking parallels here where, you know, you've had since 1965 a real attempt to build a multiracial democracy in the United States. And with the election of Obama in 2008, a real sort of racist panic among um, uh, white Americans, uh, particularly in the Republican Party, that, you know, they're losing their nation. Um, and a sort of rise of, you know, right wing political violence, of which I think January 6th is part of that. But allied with a Republican Party that wants to roll back voting rights, you know, particularly in the South, and aided by, you know, the Supreme Court, which has basically gutted the Voting Rights Act. And so you're going to see, uh, you are seeing, and you're going to see more and more, like, you know, like actual Black political power in the South being rolled back, and even if they have the votes, not being able to have representation. Uh, and, and the Democratic Party that, you know, is like the Republican Party of the 1870s and 1880s, which is not strong enough, not united enough, and not committed enough to, like, fight us. Yeah. So I, I think that should give anyone on the left pause. Like, if this is, if we're seeing a kind of rollback of, you know, the Civil Rights Act was, at the time, Martin Luther King and others called it the Second Reconstruction. So if we're witnessing the sort of rollback of the Second Reconstruction, that, that foretells a very dark future. And I, th I think it's that American context, that American history, that should be looked at because, and I, you know, like that's why I, that's one reason I, I find these comparisons to 9-11 so offensive. Like it's not a foreign threat. It's like, you know, the same powerful forces of race and class that have always existed in America uh, and that are, you know, like are profoundly anti-democratic. And uh, so, so yeah, I think that, that that is worth fighting. Yeah. And, and I think that just to kind of, wrap this uh before we move on to the COVID conspiracy well it'll it'll i think it'll kind of give us a nice little avenue into it which is that you know you don't have to go back to reconstruction uh even to 
to see the the roots of this movement, you know, the white backlash of the civil rights movement itself, like yeah. within living memory, yeah, is course, yeah. is is the same. You know, that racist panic and backlash is what led to Reagan's election, and Reagan's election is what led to just the complete, like lunatic right wing. Uh, takeover of the Republican Party, which was already after Nixon was like, or, you know, it yeah, yeah. was was yeah, already no, I, like there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, I, I would actually say even like with Nixon, you know, Nixon and actually, to be honest, Barry Goldwater, they all pioneered the Southern strategy. I mean, it's not an accident that the only places that Goldwater won were like in the Deep South uh, with white voters, where you know black voters were disenfranchised at the time. Uh, and that that became the you know that became the new base of the Republican Party. I mean, yeah, this has been the history of the last uh, sixty years now, and it's become I, I think it's become intensified. Where I think you know, like among the kind of Tucker Carlson's of the world, there's a real panic that you know the demographics are such that they're going to lose um, uh, the you know that that sort of Republican Party. That iteration of the Republican Party could be in trouble, and you know the pe- their people are very committed to that. Want to hold on to that, and if that means you know disenfranchising people, if that I mean I, if that means like trying to figure out ways to rule as a minority uh, over a democratic society, they will do that. And what, and unfortunately, there's a lot of things in the American system, like the Supreme Court, like the Electoral College, like gerrymandering that 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 benefit them, uh, and and unfortunately. They're, they face an opposition which is not, you know, has, hasn't yet shown the strength to fight um, uh, as fiercely as they should. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I agree with that for sure. Um, so let's let's turn to the second, I think, big theme uh, for the year in view politically, and that is. And, and I'm speaking to uh, Jeet here for those uh, who are listening live and for people on the replay, speaking to Jeet here. Um, and he uh, he's speaking to me via Zoom. So that's why you're just hearing all of this from uh, my icon in the uh, in the in the speaker's row there. Um, so. One one way that this right wing lunacy is kind of manifesting itself these days is a resistance to pretty basic public health stuff. Uh, Vaccines, uh, vaccine mandates, masking, uh, lockdowns. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, there's, there's some, I guess there's some wriggle room on that, but, but, you know, the vaccines is pretty, is, is I think a good one to kind of focus on. And what what's kind of happened here is that Biden became president and the right wing, which already uh, was, or there was a lot of antipathy towards vaccines already on the right. That That's where a lot of this anti-vax stuff begins in the first place, is from the right, from uh, a very specific strain of kind of militia and evangelical, uh, you know, if, if if you go back far enough on this stuff, it, it kind of all comes to the survivalist, uh, Christian separatist movement stuff. Uh, and then it kind of bleeds into a little bit of the New Age, which has its own roots in libertarianism. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. But 
the anti-vax movement right now, the the anti-public health movement that's going on right now that is on the right has really intensified since Joe Biden became president. And it has really, really, really become like a culture war issue where people on the right see it as, you know, see this as an opportunity to kind of own the libs and liberals especially uh, see getting vaccinated and see, they see kind of adhering to these public health mandates as a sign of, of their, of of, of kind of like what divides them from the right a kind of like we're smart, you're stupid kind of thing. It's, it's very frustrating to watch as, as, as somebody who's not really invested in this, uh, in, in partisan politics or either, either liberal or conservatives particularly. Um, yeah, no, no, but, it has been very frustrating and it's, um, almost, I mean, I you know, I don't know how it could have been prevented, except, you know, like I did think once Biden was elected, you know, there should have been um, a lot of public health messaging that really brought out like, you know, sort of Republican voices um, to, you know, emphasize the vaccine is good to kind of like, you know, maybe counteract this stuff or just not even Republican voices, like just people who are seen as, you know, like nonpartisan or culturally conservative or or whatever like like not seeing as liberal democrats so i mean i i would have liked to have seen like you know dolly parton or clint eastwood or the rock you know, you know like uh, people like that um uh or you know I, I guess i mean the bushes did some uh public health messages but i mean like but unfortunately like no one listens to them anymore and uh, um i mean the weird thing was like with trump uh, you know um uh, he actually, like, you know, he was initially very silent. Like, he got the vaccinated, like, in December of 20, um, uh, uh, 20. and uh, uh, but he wasn't, like, talking about it. He didn't mention it until, like, March, uh, and so, like, many months went by. And, you know, like, uh, yeah, it, it, the, the social forces that you mentioned, like, we're always committed to polar, uh, making it polarized, and I don't think that the liberals have a way of reaching or aggressing these these social forces, um, and I think that to some degree, cynically, I think a lot of Republican politicians decide to, you know, there's enough of these people in their base that they need to split the difference. So, like, they won't, you know, like people like DeSantis or whatever won't be actively anti-vax, uh, but they'll also like not support mandates or they'll give other kind of you know dog whistles or hints that they have some sympathy with the um, anti-vaxxers uh yeah well I, so- you know i i certainly think that you know trump didn't get wasn't public about getting vaccinated at the time because he didn't want to piss off his base because still at that time i mean it goes back to what we were just discussing yeah, 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 january no, he, 6th like like yeah, he, he like he, he still, still wanted their political backing and yeah, so for him yeah. to to come out and say that he, I mean, it, it, it's it's funny because that Ben Garrison cartoon that just came out, which shows yeah. Trump like standing on the bandwagon, the vaccine bandwagon, acting all confused about why people will be angry with him for doing this. Is like, no, he's not confused. Like he knew this. He 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 knew this. Obviously, he's making a calculation right now 
that um you know that I, I don't know if it's that that there are uh, he, he feels like his voters are dying or something like I don't know why he's now making that calculation but yeah. but he certainly understands that that his base is not fond of this yeah no he he does he does I mean yeah that's uh, I mean it'd be yeah I'm not quite sure what to make of that except that he has some ego investment in being I'm the guy who did Operation Warp Speed you know it should be my vaccine or whatever uh, but yeah I don't know it's just it's, I mean unfortunately like in the way American politics is structured around cultural battles, like, has really, like, hurt it. I mean, and we've seen some of that in other countries. I mean, I'm recording here in Canada, and there's definitely, I mean, here, the interesting thing is that the um, uh, political party, the political right split into, like, the mainstream conservative party, uh, you know, which got, like, 33% of the vote, and then this new uh, People's uh, Party, which got... um, Five uh, percent of the vote, and the People's Party is very anti-vax, and to some degree, having that split um, made it easier for our mainstream conservatives, who, who are, you know, a little bit like the Republicans, but maybe more pro-vaccine. Or uh, it, it hasn't been quite that partisan split, uh, and I think that's helped. You know, I think there's a reason why in Canada the vaccination rate is about you know ten percent higher than in the U.S. Right. Um, uh, and, and in Europe as well. So I think that under the unfortunate polarization on cultural lines uh, uh, is, is, is caused a lot of trouble. It's going to make makes, makes it much harder to do things like mandates. Creates reach. I mean, if you have to look at like the numbers, like you know, there are places in the deep south where like you know, like a majority of adults are not vaccinated, and I don't know how that's going to play out in the long run. I mean. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the, I mean, yeah, I don't want to say too much about Omicron. Like, we don't know how I mean, if we're lucky and it's not uh, as lethal, then maybe you know, uh, America and the world could be out of the woods soon. But it's just a very bad combination, and it's just not just for this, but for any future cultural battles. Like, yeah, yeah I just don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I, and, I, and this is this is you know, I, I just want to say something about the deep south. I mean, this is anecdotal, obviously, in second hand, but. You know, I've, I have friends who live in Texas and and have visited Texas, and they say that, you know, it's almost like there's like a sense of shame about like it, even admitting that you caught COVID, like yeah. like like nobody's like admitting that they're vaccinated. Nobody's wearing a mask or anything. I mean, it has been kind of like in in the same way that it is a social signifier uh, for liberals. It's also a social signifier for people on the right, and it's just this thing like what. It, once the two sides get entrenched like that, um, and you know, liberals and 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 conservatives are uh, for 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 worse, uh, you know, the two dominant political strains in the U.S. I mean, people who are on the left are not particularly, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of power, we don't have a lot of population, so you just have like these two sides that are just using this stuff as a cultural signifier pushing back and forth, turning into a culture war. And it's it's quite frustrating to watch when it's really like, you know, there, there should be some sort of of attempt at, at, at solving this. And, and I would also say that the idea that you can somehow just convince people harder to get the vaccine when it has become a, a, a culture war touchstone is just not possible anymore, I, I think. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I think that's right. And uh, I mean, there's many aspects of it. Um, one of which is that because um, liberals, uh, you know, uh, themselves see it as a, a marker of identity, you know, they were they ignored the ways in which there are people who weren't getting vaccinated, you know, just because they're poor, because they didn't have access to health care, because they've been traditionally uninsured, so they don't even have the kind of, you know, contact and history with the medical system uh, that would allow them. And also that there were all sorts of things the government could be doing, like getting free tests to people, which other governments are doing, which, you know, Biden uh, has been very slow to do. So, 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 yeah, I mean, it's just like, just a, a massive tragedy. Um, you know, I mean, having said that, I mean, like, I think the burden is really on the anti-vaxxers. Like, I think, you know, um, the degree to which, um, I, I mean, I think it was a mistake to kind of glorify Fauci and that I think there's been a lot of messaging problems with like the Center for Disease Control and that we're, which is kind of creating the opening for people to distrust the system. Uh, but, but having said that, I mean, like there's this real problem of, you know, like this, this group of people that are significant enough to have political power within the Republican party to be, you know, a big part of the base, uh, who, who are really committed to these views and who are like, it's very hard to shake. I really don't know how to get around that, uh, except in the long run, like in terms of like, you know, if you win enough sufficient political victories, um, it might become in the interest of the Republican Party to, you know, expand or change their base and to marginalize these people. But that's going to, that, that would take a very, you know, it would take a situation like the Great Depression and having a Roosevelt, you know, in power for like uh, uh, 13 years and then, you know, having his successor be reelected. You know, having 20 years of power. <laughs> <laughs> that you could marginalize Republicans enough. Other than that, like you know, I don't see it changing very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 certainly a thing where it it could change quickly, but the conditions for that and how that would happen is just completely unknowable at this point because yeah, we're yeah, yeah. we're you know, I, I think a lot of the time as if when you look at history, you will see certain moments certain major moments that that have changed the country's path and direction yeah, uh, yeah. and, well, and I, at, I, at the time like nobody saw that coming at all so but but yeah i mean in general way, yeah another way though i think that one avenue or one possibility of a victory because I, I think this is one issue where the democrats do have not just a majority but a kind of super majority like you know like the republicans are more divided but it's interesting that you know more than half of Republicans have gotten vaccinated, um, and I think that one could, in theory, you know, try to use this to you know as a wedge issue uh, and force the Republicans to uh, to do it. But uh, Biden's commitment to you know bipartisanship and to like you know trying to restore the old civility won't let him do that. But I mean, one could imagine another set of circumstances where more. Um, uh, vigorous uh, uh, democratic regime um, might try to use us not in a culture war sense, but in a very conscious political sense of like trying to make this a problem for the opposing party. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's certainly one way to do it. Um, and, and speaking of political parties, let's now move to the third and 
Uh, yeah, I guess kind of final uh, item here. Although, as as you predicted, we have we have kind of tangentially yeah. digressed a little bit and talked about some other things. So it, I'm 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 glad that that's worked out. Uh, and that's just kind of just talking about the Biden agenda and how Biden has done, whether it's good or poor, uh, facing off against a, a a Democratic Party that's a little divided between its more left and and right wings, and then a Republican Party that just you know obviously is not going to do anything to work with him. And I'd like to start there and just to kind you know I, I saw people on Twitter sharing some comments that Biden made in December of last year where he was, you know, he was like, you know, I've been elected and uh, things are going to change and and the GOP is going to listen to me. And this is, you know, we're going to finally be, uh, things are going to be finally taken care of and, and, and the fever is going to break like still, you know? And I think that, uh, it's just really like fascinating to me to to look at that stuff and to think that there's probably a part of Biden that still believes he just hasn't figured out how to reach them yet. What what do you do you think that that's accurate or do you think that he or or do you think that even he he doesn't even uh view it that way that it was just a cynical power play in the first place. Yeah, I mean I, don't, I mean Biden is you know a creature of the older sort of consensus politics, right? Like, you know, like it's, it's worth remembering he joined the Senate, you know, like in the year of kind of like Tip O'Neill and, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, an era where uh, a Bob Dole and a George McGovern could get together and work on food stamps, right? Uh, so, I mean, I think that sort of political formation is hard to give up for. And I think, you know, uh, during the Trump years, I, I refer to this often as... Um, the sort of uh, Anshan regime restoration, the kind of fantasy that, you know, if they get Trump out of the way, they can kind of return to the good old days uh, with the two parties, you know, kind of narrowly disagreeing and working together. Uh, Having said that, I mean, like Biden is not a dumb guy by any means. Um, And I think to some degree, he and others are aware that, you know, you know, like they're not going to be able to get back to that and they need to, be some sort of significant changes. I just think, like, you know, the, the narrowness of his victory makes it hard. I mean, the Democrats are divided, but actually maybe, like, less divided than the past. Like, if you actually look at, you know, the votes that they have, um, they were more divided under Obama, you know, where, like, uh, they had a bigger majority, you know, at 1.60 seats, right? Like a super majority in the Senate. And uh, uh, had trouble getting stuff done. I mean, uh, one of my colleagues in the Republic said, I think accurately that Biden has, in some ways, the best Democratic president uh, since um, Lyndon Johnson, but also wholly inadequate to the the challenges that America has. And I think that's a good kind of dialectical view that on the one hand, you know, um, the Democratic Party has changed, like after Bernie Sanders, like its actual center of gravity and what ambitions it's pursuing is much wider than even under Obama, certainly under Clinton or, you know, Jimmy Carter. But, um, uh, you know, like, like like getting that through, like, the system that requires supermajorities is hard. I mean, I think, you know, like any sort of big judgment, I'm holding 
a little bit. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Build Back Better. It could totally die uh, or could go through in a kind of very um, limited form. But even so, uh, you know, like it, it would be um, uh, the stuff that's been done so far, it's not negligible. Uh, it's just like, just not also not um, uh, um, adequate, like, you know, to what has to be done. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's the. So in some ways, I feel like both Biden, I mean, I feel, I always thought he's going to be a placeholder president. Like once it became clear that this is who the Democrats are going to change, uh, take, it's like, okay, this is going to be the guy that they're going to put in to, you know, hold everything in place until the party gets its act together. And I think, the, I think the party leaders are hoping that, you know, they're putting a lot of faith in like uh, either Harris or Buttigieg, hoping that they can find some sort of, you know, centrist replacement that can take it and uh, it's unfortunate for them that like you know any of the available candidates that they have aren't like seem like like politically dead in the water um yeah well you know i mean i i I think that one thing about that framing like the framing that you're using that i really dislike is whether or not he's the best president since lbj it's it's just hard for me to like wrap my head around even saying that with what he's doing like oh, yeah, specifically no, no, no. on immigration. I mean, I mean, that's more a comment on how bad the Democrats have been since uh, yeah uh, for the last sixty years. I mean, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, no, no, I mean, no, he he he's been totally inadequate, and in, and then with I mean, I think the the tell here is that there's a lot of things that he could do without Congress that he isn't doing. Like, and I really feel like that's why the student death thing for me, like, is a real tell. Like, that's something he could do with his just signing a piece of paper. Uh, and it would really help a lot of people who are, you know, like, core to the party. I will be core to the party for the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, and the refusal to do that, you know, is just, I mean, that's such a tell. And, yeah, I think... Uh, um, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I, I just think it's, as a placeholder president, you know, like, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, he's going to get much done, and also, that's really bad, because there's a lot of things that need to get done, and, you know, things are going to get worse, and, you know, like, yeah, there's a real possibility that the, the failure that the Democrats are, you know, sort of creating this failed presidency is going to bring either Trump or or someone equally bad in power, like, you know, just uh, uh, two years from now. Yeah. Years, yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is crazy to think about that. It's like pretty much around the corner, but that is the way that elections are done in this country for some uh, Scots, Irish, weird Presbyterian bullshit reason. But, um, you know, I think that, the the depletion of the bench during the Obama years had a lot to do with this too. I mean, there's just yeah. really like, isn't anybody to pick yeah. it up? Like I, uh, I, this is talked about a lot, but you know, Steny Hoyer, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, who else is in leadership? Clyburn Schumer. Yeah. I mean, all these guys I mean, are like, they're really old. I mean, sort of gerontocracy is partially, a depletion of the bench was also like these people don't want to give up power and it's in a sense they know that like you know 
if a next generation comes to power, it could be people with very different views than they have. Um, and so, so they're holding on for dear life. And I think that's what Biden's presidency is. I mean, he's very much part of that. Like, we don't want to, I mean, Biden was the guy, I mean, Biden was kind of brought in not to defeat Trump, but to defeat Bernie Sanders. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that was like, I mean, you know, like, if one wants to say, I mean, my epithet for the Democrats would be that they're good at two things. One is losing to the Republicans, and the other is defeating left insurgencies within their party. <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, given that reality, like, uh, yeah, but, but I mean, again, I don't know how much longer, you know, like, it, it does feel like Biden is the end of something. And I don't think that he's, uh, the legacy he's leaving is going to be enough that he can hand over uh, to, to anybody. I mean, like, he got in because of Obama, right? Like, yeah. people like Obama. Uh, and he was Obama's VP. Uh, but, you know, like, what power is Biden going to be have to, like, you know, make sure that Buttigieg or Harris is the nominee? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the, what, Buttigieg's popularity on the national stage, I don't think, has really been tested too much because he kind of was was out of there pretty quick. But Harris, I mean, that's just like a dead end. I mean, they they can't. They can't do I mean, she has... She has a base of 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 rabid fans, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, you know. yeah. Even I mean that I don't know how much. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how many of those people are drawing paychecks? I don't know. From uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I I think uh, yeah. Okay, if I'm in a predictive mood at the end of the year, I mean, it really looks like Biden is going to be the placeholder president that we thought about you know which means just kind of holding the line but that this is gonna you know the thermostatic reaction is you know, of american politics means that the republicans will get the house very like possibly the senate um a uh, good chance of winning in uh, 2024 but then the democrats will pick up again in 2026 the two parties are pretty evenly matched i think you know you're gonna kind of see a seesaw effect until uh, one party or the other, and I would hope it would be the Democrats, like kind of figure out a way to break that stranglehold and, and push for things. And I think that the, what change we're going to see is in the Democratic Party. Like, I think that Biden is the end of the road for a certain type of politics. That, like, afterwards, I don't know how much a candidate will be able to get by running on the kind of Biden agenda. You know, especially if it leads to Trump being reelected, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you... You mean this kind of like centrism and, and working with the other side kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think that's I think Biden will be the end of, of his variety of politics. I think just as Hillary I mean, Hillary Clinton, you know, marked the kind of end of Clintonism. And I think Biden might represent the end of Obamaism, right? Like to the extent that one can even differentiate the two. But I mean I think the that political legacy and that hold that um uh those people have on the party is is, you know, uh, gonna be weakened. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, I think that was always the, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, who, there's a possibility that, like, if Biden, uh, that if some very, you know, moderately adequate version of Build Back Better gets passed, and they're still negotiating it, who knows? I mean, I'm, you know, skeptical, but 
there's that. And there's a possibility that, you know, like that uh, faced with uh, intransigent Republicans uh, uh, taking control of Congress, Biden might have to govern um, the way Obama did uh, after 2014 of, you know, governing or, you know, like just through executive orders. And which means that, yeah, um, we'll see what kind of legacy he has. But yeah, right now it's not looking great. Yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. Um, And I guess, uh, you know, don't have a lot of time left here, but, um, you know, you're you're a longtime observer of American politics. What do you think is going to happen in the midterms next year? Yeah, well, I mean, I sort of already kind of indicated I do think the thermostatic reaction is going to be strong. And so I think that he will, uh, and I think, you know, I, I think at this stage it's going to take a miracle for the Democrats to hold on. Like, uh, yeah, so I think it's going to be a Republican wave and I could be in both houses, right? Like, um, I think the, uh, and, and then, uh, yeah, I, so I think that Biden, and I think, you know, the thing is, it's going to be a Republican wave, but it's not going to be, you know, even the Tea Party Republicans of 2010. It's going to be Trump Republicans are going to be the kind of, you know, in charge of the House. And they're going to, I feel like, you know, they're probably going to, you know, like uh, impeach Brandon, right? Like, uh, you know, the first of your business will be the impeach Brandon bill, right? Like the, uh, um, yeah. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I just think it'll be interesting to see how, Biden responds, uh, you know, if there is like a really hostile uh, Republican Congress that will be investigating him every step of the way, and will be, you know, like uh, uh, really trying to sabotage his administration. What's he going to do? We're, we'll find out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it, it, I, I think part of what's interesting about finding out about that is that clearly that was what they were expecting they were going to have to do. And the the wins in Georgia changed that the Senate wins, and so they were kind of put into a situation where they then had to govern, you know, with 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 a majority. Um, and yeah. and there's and there's been you know obviously ups and downs with that, but uh, well, cool. Well, well, gee, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, what are you What are you working on right now? Well, it's just the year end, so I'm probably going to do like a few movie reviews of, uh, yeah, I was thinking that, that uh, uh, new Adam McKay, uh, David Sorota joint, uh, Don't Look Up, is polarizing people. I haven't seen it yet, so I want to I wanna try to watch that and see why, 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 why they're making people mad. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of people talking about that. I haven't seen it. I've seen, uh, I've seen the new Matrix, though. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Did you like it? I liked the first... 45 minutes of it but i i felt that the back half wasn't good and the fight choreography was just it just was not doing it for me oh okay okay yeah i have to to go see that and uh, spider-man so we'll we'll see (laughs) uh, yeah but uh excellent all right well yeah uh so jeet is on twitter at here jeet h-e-e-r-j-e-e-t And you can find his newsletter at jeetheer.substack.com, J-E-E-T-H-E-E-R.substack.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeet. And thanks, everybody, for listening. My name is Owen Higgins. You can find me at 
you can find my newsletter at owenhiggins.substack.com, E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S.substack.com. And follow, subscribe, and get Colin if you haven't already, if you're listening to this on the replay. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk soon.